and we are in the middle of a series called Thriving in Babylon, and our senior pastor, Pastor Aaron, uh, will be back with us next week, but he started uh, in Daniel chapter 1, and we've been going over the book of Daniel. We're going to be going over the book of Daniel and, and, and pulling out uh, some passages in the book of Daniel, and Pastor Aaron was really sharing with us uh, something this, it, it is, it's the way of the exile is, is how he described it, and the idea is, is that uh, in the Bible we see this uh, theme of exile repeated over and over again, and he said the tension of living as an exile is this, is we live in a land that is not our home. And the New Testament also uh, uses that language to describe what we are. And it says, heaven is our home, but we live in this land. And so how do we live in a land that's not our home? The tension is this, is, is what Pastor Aaron shared with us, is you have to live in the tension of loyalty and subversion. The tension of loyalty and subversion. And yet, I encourage you, if you didn't have an opportunity to hear that message, to go back and listen. It'll help you uh, get a clearer picture of what we're talking about here. And that theme is repeated over and over again. And what I love about the Bible is it repeats themes over and over and over again. And you have to learn to see the patterns in Scripture. Even that theme of loyalty and subversion, Jesus kind of exemplified that too. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he could have picked anybody to be a part of his 12 disciples. But you start to really study who he picked, and you're like, Jesus, you are embracing loyalty and subversion. So we, we, we see this pattern of exile. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about here. Jesus had two guys who were disciples. One's name was Simon the Zealot. That wasn't just a nickname. The zealots were a group of people who wanted to overthrow the Roman government. On the other end of the spectrum, Jesus had a guy on his team called Matthew, the tax collector. Again, not a nickname. So on one end, you had Simon the zealot. Let's overthrow the Roman government. And on the other side, you had Matthew, the tax collector. Let's collect taxes for the Roman government. You want to talk about a tension of loyalty and subversion. How many of you are feeling tight tension right now? If you're not feeling tension, you may not understand what I'm saying. This would be like having a don't tread on me, uh, libertarian, uh, taxation is theft person on your team, and an IRS agent. Working together. So I'm just trying to give you the picture there. There's a tension there. And you see uh, the idea of exile throughout Scripture in this tension. And, and, and if you want to understand the patterns of the Bible, you really got to go back to the book of Genesis. Because Genesis gives us so many patterns. That as you become a fully devoted follower of Jesus, what I encourage you is go back to Genesis and look for the patterns. Start to recognize the patterns. One of those is exile. Exile being this. When someone is forced to move away, that's what exile is, forced migration. One of the very first stories in the Bible, Adam and Eve, exiled from the garden, right? That's one of the, one of the patterns. Abraham called out of his home into a land God would show him in Genesis 12, exile. Abraham's nephew, Lot, is called to leave Sodom and Gomorrah, exile. Abraham has a son with his Egyptian slave named Hagar. 
Exile, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away. Jacob, his, great, his grandson, Abraham's grandson, tricks his brother, gets into some family drama. He's, he leaves home and goes to another land. Exile. Even at the end of Genesis, we see the whole tribe of Israel move into Egypt, which then they later come back in the book of Exodus. But there's an exile there. And the exile that we are talking about with Daniel is, is, is not the only exile. In fact, half of the kingdom of, of, of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, was actually taken away by Assyria before they were, uh, the Jude, Judean uh, kingdom was taken to Babylon. So I, I can kind of feel the tension of, uh, of being in exile, being forced to move. When I was a kid, uh, some of you know this, is I, I'm an army brat. So, uh, you know, I think sometimes uh, when you're in the military, uh, you know the tension of, like, your kids are always moving. And, and, and I remember that as a kid, just like this tension of, like, we're moving somewhere. Where are we moving? Oklahoma. What? Where? Can anything good come from Oklahoma? <laughs> you want me to go Where? And I remember all these moves that we had as a teenager, as I started to get older. It, it got a little harder every time, right? Because you, you move overseas, and they have a different culture. They have a different language. They have a different way of doing things. But then I remember the hardest move for me was actually when you, you start to get used to that. My dad took early retirement and got out of the Army. And we moved to small-town USA, Midwest monoculture. Everybody was exactly the same. I was used to like everybody's different. Then it was like everybody's the same, but they're not the same as me. And I didn't fit in. And I, and I wonder if that's how Daniel felt. And as we're picking up here in Daniel 2, and I'm going to read a lot of Daniel 2 to you to give you the bigger picture. And there's going to be parts that I'm going to leave out. So I'm going to encourage you to go back and to read the whole chapter. There's a lot there. There's about 10 messages there. But I'm only going to try to do one today. I'm going to try. But we pick up in Daniel 2, verse 1, and it says this, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. Again, let's go back to the Bible, patterns, let's recognize the patterns, dreams in Genesis and throughout the early parts of the Bible leading up to this book of Daniel were how God showed people the future. We know that Jacob had a dream. We know that Joseph had a dream that he told his brothers about them bowing down to him, that he saw the future. Then, 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 then in the story of Joseph, you have the baker and the, and the, and the, and the cupbearer, like the butler. They, they have a dream, and Joseph tells them the dream, and then Pharaoh has a dream. So you see this repeated, and there always were this. God gives them a dream to show them what's to come. So there's the pattern, revealing God's plan. That's the pattern. So he has a dream, and it says his mind was troubled and he could not sleep. He says, so the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. They came in, and they stood before the king. So he calls them all in. He said to them, I have had a dream. It troubles me, and I want to know what it means. 
So what they would do is they would, uh, you see this pattern even with Pharaoh, bring people in, tell me what this dream is. I believe that something divine is happening here, but I don't know what it means. Can you tell me? What it means. And so the astrologers, and basically they're standing in for this whole group of people. They, they answer, may the king live forever. So they're kind of, you know, puffing the king up. Hey, live, long live the king. Tell your servants the dream. We will interpret it. So the king, he replies to these astrologers, and he says this. This is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what the dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turn into piles of rubble. It's like that escalated quickly. (laughs) Maybe you find yourself like the king, asking yourself, what is the dream? I want somebody to tell me the dream. What is the dream and what does it mean? Why are we here? Maybe we're like that king trying to find that dream and find out what it means. And there's a lot of dreams out in the world today. We have the American dream, right, which is to have a house and own something and have the opportunity to climb up the success ladder. We have to ask ourselves, where are we going to find the dream, to find our meaning? Is it the culture? Is it God? But we continue on. Verse 10, he says, The astrologers answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asked. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asked is too difficult. No one can reveal it. To the king, except for the gods, and they don't live among the humans. These wise men were right when they said, Nobody can do this but God. No one knows. These, this was an interesting group. As, as if, you, if you dive deeper into the understanding of what each one of these words means and what these groups were about, is they would, by superstition, by words, By the stars, by objects in the world, try to figure out meaning, try to decode the supernatural. And they said, what you're asking for cannot work for us. We cannot do this. We cannot provide you with what the dream is. Therefore, we cannot tell you the meaning. At the end of the day, when we're looking for godly meaning in our lives... Where do we look? Where do we go to? Are we out there trying to live our truth? Like the enchanters would try to manifest their truth. We like to, I'm going to manifest my truth. Doesn't work for them. Like the wise men, if we're trying to live in our own methods, it won't find us meaning. So as we continue on, verse 12, he says this. It says, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. And as we get on to verse 14, it says, Arioch, 
This is one of the kings, like, he was the commander of the king's guard. He had gone out to put the death the wise men of Babylon. Now, Daniel, as we know, as we discovered last week, is, is one of these. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who will come back into the story, are, are, are in this group. And so it says, Daniel, he speaks to him with wisdom intact. He's, he's, he's asking a question. He asks the king's officer, he says, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? So in other words, he wasn't there. He didn't have a chance. But he's going to be put to death for something that someone else did. That's not fair. So Arioch explains what happened to Daniel. And at this, Daniel actually goes to the king and he says, Can I have a little bit more time? Can you give me a night? Everybody say, Give me a night. He says, I'm going to, just give me, I, I'm going to interpret the dream for you. All the others said, like, hey, we've got our way of looking to the stars. We've got, we're going to throw the bones. We're going to roll the dice. We're going to say the magic words. We're going to use our runes. We're going to look and put all these magic items together. All of our culture from around the world, the wisest of the wise from around all cultures, we can figure no meaning because we can't even tell you what it is. But Daniel says, give me a night. Give me a moment. Give me some time. So it says, then Daniel, he returns to his house. And he explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which, again, that's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's interesting that what he says here, he tells them, he says, uh, hey, he urged them to plead for mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of, of Babylon. Like, when things get tough, they knew where to turn. During the night, it says, everybody say, during the night. During the, night. the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then, Daniel praised the God of heaven. He actually takes a moment here uh, for, for multiple verses where he actually sings a song of praise. And we won't go into all of that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, skip down past that. He spends about five verses just praising God for that. It's interesting here. It says he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. I, I love what Daniel does in this moment. You have the king trying to figure out what's the dream, what does it mean. You have the wise men who say, we can't tell you the meaning if you don't tell us the dream. But you have Daniel here who, who realizes how to find meaning in Babylon. Where does he go? He goes to God. He seeks him first. And what I love is he gets someone wise seeking with him. He just doesn't trust in him his own ability. He trusts, he says, I got to get my friends to agree with me, which, of course, we see, you know, in the New Testament where Jesus talks about prayer in Matthew 18. He says this. He says, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. He found somebody who could tell what he was asking God for. He could plead together with them. I love this. He gets this answer. He takes this praise break. And then after the praise break, he goes back to Arioch and he says this, Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for him. I'll tell him what it is. I'll tell him what it means. 
And so when he, he, he's, he's, he goes to the king, we pick up again in verse 32, he, he, he's telling the king what the dream was. He's doing what the wise men said, like, nobody can do this. And even Daniel reaffirms this. He says, guess what? I can't do it because I'm wise and tactful, like it was brought out in the, in the scripture there. The reason I can tell you this is because God in heaven revealed it to me. So he sought God, he got people seeking God with him, and then God reveals the dream and the meaning to him. And so he's telling them the meaning in verse 32. He says, he sees this statue, right, in this dream. He says the head of the statue is just this massive, giant statue. He says it's made of pure gold. He goes, the chest and the arms are made of pure silver. He says the belly and the thighs were made out of bronze. Its legs were made out of iron. He goes, but the feet were partly iron and partly baked clay. Other translations actually say ceramic. He goes, but while you're watching, that's not it. There's this just magnificent statue. I would love to know what that looked like. I know some artists have done that, but I don't, I don't know if those are the accurate, but I just would love to see. He says, while you were watching, in the dream, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. Everybody say, not by human hands. A pattern happening here. A rock, not by human hands. He's activating a pattern that we see in Scripture here. He's kind of giving them a little metaphorical clue of what's happening before he even gives the interpretation. He said, it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Verse 35, it says, Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. In other words, the stuff they throw away. I like what the message says, something like, uh, you know, burnt up newspaper. It's just Blew away in the wind. The wind swept them away without having a trace. So in other words, it's all gone. But the rock, come on, there's a pattern being, being if, if, if you go back and read, read Genesis. The rock that struck the statue did what? It became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. The Hebrew readers would have been like, aha, aha, aha. Mountain. What was the mountain about? We'll get into that in a second. And so he says in verse 36, he goes, now, let me give you the interpretation. Now, what follows is widely debated amongst theologians, seminarians, Bible experts, that causes people to doubt Was Daniel a real person? Did he really live? How could he have known this? There's, he must have written that 600 years later. It wasn't written when he says it was written. I know that Ezekiel talks about Daniel and then all the other prophets. I, I, I get all that, but it couldn't be. Because he says he, the interpretation is so on point with what happens in history that even theologians today, 
who study the Bible, but that's the interesting thing, that not everybody who studies the Bible believes the Bible and lives the Bible. He says, here's what's going to happen. He says, so first of all, he tells him, he says, the gold head is you. Greatest ruler in the world. It's the first thing he tells him. He goes, but in verse 39, he goes, after you, though, another kingdom will arise inferior to yours. That was the silver. Then he says, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Remember the bronze. He says, finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything. And as iron breaks things into pieces, it will crush the others. It'll break all the others. He goes, just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly iron, partly baked clay, he says, they're going to have a divided kingdom. Yet, it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. So what is he talking about here? Again, how could he have known this? How could he have talked about this? Because if we start to understand what he's talking about here, I have a little list here. So first of all, you have the head made of pure gold. Babylonian Empire. That was the head, the statue. Then you have coming down the arms and chest made of silver. What happened after the Babylonian Empire? The Medo-Persian Empire took over. Even in the book of Daniel, you see that happening. Who took over after the, the Medes and the Persians? You've probably seen a movie about this. The Greeks, the Grecian Empire took over, Bronze Age. Right? Then, who took over after the Greeks in the time of Jesus? Who was ruling? The Roman Empire. And then what happened to the Roman Empire? It was divided. It kind of tried to become a republic and this and that. And partly divided in this part of the... All these things happen as Daniel saw the dream. He goes, but that's not it. Let me tell you what else happens. He says, in the time of all those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. He says, there is a king coming that will never be dethroned. He says, nor will it be left to another people. No one else is going to take it over. It will crush all those kingdoms. It will bring it to an end. But it, it will itself endure forever. He says, it's never going to end. He says, this is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain. Not by human hands, a rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The rock was Daniel, was Nebuchadnezzar seeing forth to the coming king, Jesus. Because every time you see the metaphor of mountain in Scripture is where people would go to meet God. Abraham met God on the mountain. Moses met God on the mountain. Jesus was crucified on a mountain. The mountain metaphor is that of where man and woman, people, mankind, humans go to commune with God. And I love what he says, the kingdom of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. 
And I love this idea. It's like it says that that rock, and Jesus, of course, ta- called himself the rock in Matthew 7, 24. He says, you got to build your house upon the rock. He talks to Peter, and he says, uh, he calls Peter the pebble, and he says, the rock of the revelation of who I am is how I will build the church. And we used to sing, Jesus is the rock of our salvation. And all the rock metaphor in Scripture over and over and over again. But I love what he says here. He says, this is a rock that was not cut by human hands. And that is where the people of Jesus' day, though they were Hebrews, missed it. And where we miss it today is we are looking for the kingdom of God to be a human-led, human hands, same kind of kingdom as Babylon, same kind of kingdom as the Medo-Persians, same kind of kingdom as the Greeks, same kind of kingdom as the Romans, same kind of kingdom as the Roman Empire, but Jesus is like, hold on a minute, I'm about to do something totally different. And the people who lived in Jesus' day, most of them missed it because they were looking for the same instead of different. They were looking for something cut by human hands versus something that came from heaven that was a move of God that they did not expect. Jesus talked so much about the kingdom of heaven, and he says, now the kingdom of heaven. And I think sometimes as believers who are on the other side of Jesus coming, sometimes we're waiting for the kingdom of heaven to come back down. When we are really called to be the ones who help it become a huge mountain and fill the whole earth. You say, what do you mean? In verse 35, he says, it became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Again, the metaphor here is the mountain is a place where you experience God's presence. There's so much here that I can unpack. But look what Jesus said in Mark 16, 15. He said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We are the ones. We are the ones. And our problem is, is we often tempted to be like the king, to just be out there looking for someone to tell us the dream and what is the meaning. And we can be tempted to be like the wise men where we're finding our meaning and culture. But we need to be like Daniel, who found the dream, who found the meaning. And as an exile, how do we do that? As I'm closing up, I want to just give you three quick things. Three quick things. As an exile, how do we find godly meaning in the kingdom of God? Number one, we've got to seek God like Daniel did. Everybody say, seek God. We learn from the lesson of the wise men that our methods of understanding meaning will come short. We have to trust in God, not in our own understanding. Now, it reminds me of a story of someone who tried to do something in their own understanding. And, uh, you know, I don't know why this is a thing, but it's kind of like uh, kind of like a joke that, like, youth pastors especially, no offense to our youth pastors and youth leaders, uh, like, youth pastors, and, and not ours, but it, it's kind of known as, like, they like to talk about how smoking hot their wife is. And some pastors do that, too. And, and, and it's like, and I've sat in, like, a service where someone talks about, like, let me tell you, i got a smoking hot wife. And, like, what are you supposed to say to that? Like, amen? Like, like, yeah, you do. Like, what are you supposed to say? Like, it's just awkward, right? And you're, like, glad that they love their wife. But this youth pastor was on a missions trip. 
in another country. And he thought that in himself he understood the language. And for whatever reason, he decided he was going to talk about how hot his wife was in his own understanding. Instead of using the translator, he decided he was just going to go ahead and say what he thought he understood. But instead of saying his wife was hot, there's kids here, I have to be careful. He said, uh, let's just say he said his wife was in heat. He misunderstood the meaning of the word that he used. And instead of saying his wife was hot, he said, we'll just say his wife is in heat. And of course, the congregation was flabbergasted. They're like, we didn't need to do that. He trusted in his own understanding, not in that of the translator to tell him what the meaning was. So number one, we've got to seek God. Everybody say, seek God. Daniel gives us the recipe for finding meaning. Number two is he says, get kingdom community. Everybody say, get kingdom community. He had friends. He sought their help. You need tribe to help you see. The Bible has so many verses about the multitude of counselors, the multitude of counselors, the multitude of counselors, the multitude of counselors. No, 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 I got God. I got God. I don't need the multitude of counselors. Just me and God. I got it. You put yourself in a class beyond anybody in Scripture when you do that. What I love is we actually have our groups launching. Next weekend, this upcoming weekend, we'll be have our groups launch where you can find a tribe. We have over 16 groups. We got marriage groups. We got a financial peace group. We got women's groups. We got men's groups. We got connect groups. Uh, we got groups where you can grow in your faith. So I encourage you as we push that out and you see that, take a step, get in a group. Number three, what Daniel did is he found meaning in helping others find meaning. The purpose for his life was to help to understand the purpose. He helped people who believed differently than him. He helped people who ate differently than him. Pastor Aaron talked about that. Who dressed differently, who had a different language, who had a different identity, who had a different meaning. They believed different, they acted different, they worshiped different. They dressed, behaved. His meaning was found in helping others find meaning. I love what this verse that Pastor Arian talked about, Jeremiah, was also prophesying to the exiles. In verse 7 of Jeremiah 29, he says, Seek the peace of the prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. So we know we are all exiles in this world. So he's speaking, though he was speaking to those exiles, the principle remains here. He says, here's what we do. We pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. How do we help prosper our city? I'm glad you asked. Very practical step that you could take. We're going to be doing something called Serve Day, September 10th. And we're opening up registration today where we have several projects where we're going out into our community and just doing very simple, practical things to help our city prosper. Let me give you, that's the heart behind it. Well, are we going to give out tracts and tell them they're going to hell if they don't receive Jesus? No. We're just going to pack some food. We're going to pick up some trash. We're going to paint some things. 
we're going to do, oh, oh, but we got we to gotta tell them they're going to hell and they're sinners in the hands. Uh, no. I know. It's the, we're going to live in the tension of loyalty and subversion. This is our chance to be loyal and to help them prosper. But they don't believe that. I don't know if I agree with all the doctrinal statement with every organization that we agree with. I don't even agree with my own doctrinal statement. It's okay. Like, it's okay, y'all. It's okay. We can prosper the city we're in. So I encourage you. Get signed up. We have over 200 spots where you get signed up today. You can do that in the lobby. You can do that online. Go to our website. Uh, we're going to be sending that link out to you. Let's remember to seek God, to get kingdom community, and to find meaning in helping others find meaning. Would you pray with me? Father God, we just thank you that we find our meaning in you, in seeking you, in seeking you together with our spiritual family is the language we use here at Rise, the kingdom community. That we find meaning in helping others find meaning. That, 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 that one of the laws of Genesis that you said was let everything reproduce after its own kind, that disciples make disciples. We thank you for this opportunity to build your kingdom, to help the whole earth be filled with the mountain of the Lord, the presence of God. The way we bring the presence of God is to bring people into the presence of God with us. We thank you for this opportunity.